Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben and & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Great drop, trailing 10-9, fires over the middle, caught. D.J. Moore at the 25, bounces off Byron Murphy at the 20, drags Vikings inside the 15. D.J. Moore uncovered on the newest, biggest play of the game. Trenton Gill holds, Cairo Santos from 30 right there. Snap spot, Santos' kick is up and he made it. With 10 seconds to go in the game, the Chicago Bears have a 12-10 lead. Why did we have to do that to Paul Allen? Why did we use the sad call? Why not the happy call from the Chicago Bears? Maybe they were in disbelief. That was a game that the Bears should have won by 30, but also should have lost. That was the kind of night that it was. No touchdown scored by the Chicago Bears. Only one touchdown on the night coming in the fourth quarter to give the Vikings a 10-9 lead. It looked like they were going to slam the door after a Justin Fields fumble. The Vikings got very conservative on offense. The Bears got one more chance, and they took full advantage of it. And the Vikings now 6-6 six and six with two primetime losses in a row, which sting even worse because you get to see it happen from start to finish. And it's been ugly the past two weeks, specifically last night on offense. Defense is great. Offense is crap. And with that, I say... Good morning, Shereen Williams, in for Chris Sims, who no longer works on Tuesdays because he needs his beauty sleep. He'll be back tomorrow. We flip Tuesday and Wednesday for Chris. Shereen is in. Shereen, how are you? I'm good. I was actually on Friday, I think it was, flipping through the channels. I was actually looking for my Aggie basketball team, and I stopped on pro football talk it's on i'm like wait the show wasn't on today so i don't know when the show was taped and the first thing i hear is you saying well we'll talk about that tuesday if you're on tuesday are you on tuesday and i'm thinking no he's not on tuesday <laughs> and that's all i heard of the show whenever that was so hi chris good morning 
Yeah, and it probably had something to do with him thinking the Bears would win last night and me picking the Vikings. I think one thing that needs to be <laughs> done, it. this was an idea that, that my son Alex had, the throwback uniforms need to be burned because they are 0-2 wearing the awesome throwbacks. And I think the problem is they've desecrated the throwbacks by not painting, or not they can't paint the helmets, you just use different helmets. They need to go back when they wear those to the shiny purple helmet. The matte purple helmet doesn't work with the old school uniform. They have not properly gone throwback, so they need to throw out the throwbacks as they currently are because (laughs) it hasn't been good. Two home losses wearing the old uniforms, not that that has anything to do with it, but for anyone with any degree of superstition, it does. And last night there was no superstition involved. The Josh Dobbs chariot went full pumpkin last night with four interceptions. I mean, it's two games in a row that the Vikings should have lost handily and still had a chance to win because of that defense, which is getting better each and every week. It's almost like it's almost like the NFC's answer to the Jets, where how much longer can the defense hold up when the offense isn't doing anything? The running game isn't what it needs to be, and last night the passing game was just a disaster for the Vikings. Yeah, you think about, Mike, all the teams that have lost their starting quarterback who are hanging in there because of the defenses. The Browns, Jets are kind of sort of hanging in. They've got a better record than they probably should have because of that defense, and the Vikings are still hanging in there with that defense. So there's been some outstanding defense played in this league with teams that have lost their quarterbacks. And that's where the Vikings find themselves. They've got a good enough team to make the postseason, but do they have a good enough quarterback? And I think we are seeing now that Josh Dobbs is Josh Dobbs. And it's nothing against him. I mean, he's hasn't started very many football games in his career. He's on his third team this year. I'm losing count of how many teams he's been on to try to learn all these offenses. So it's nothing against him, but he is what it is. He's not a starting quarterback in this league for a reason. Then he's doing the best he can, and they're hanging in there. But that's about all they did in this game, Mike. They kind of hung around long enough to give themselves a chance to win and in the end, the Bears made the one play that they needed to make, the long throw to D.J. Moore to get them in position to kick that game-winning field goal. Yeah, look, Josh Dobbs was with the Browns throughout the offseason into training camp and just before the start of the season traded to the Cardinals where he started eight games and won one, beat the Cowboys somehow, and then ended up in Minnesota four weeks ago today after the Kirk Cousins Achilles tear. And it could just be a situation where – There's enough Josh Dobbs in Minnesota film that the Bears were able to figure out how to properly defend him. Because that's the thing. You listen to coaches after the game, and I listened to all 15 minutes of the Kevin O'Connell press conference, and you hear him talk about how the offense couldn't get into rhythm, and there's the whole combination of eyes and footwork and timing and this and that. Well, you're going against 11 guys who are trying to disrupt what you do, and the Bears have a pretty good defense, and the Bears had the opportunity to look at everything Josh Dobbs has done. It was an unknown when he beat the Falcons. It was barely known when he beat the Saints. And they had more information in Denver last Sunday night, and the Bears had three games to study. And the Vikings haven't stayed ahead of the curve because the offense isn't adapting and adjusting and growing under Josh Dobbs. It's kind of reached its limit, and I think that's the concern 
that Kevin O'Connell has going into the bye week. Can we get any better, or is this just it? And yes, this is a guy who's been on seven different teams. It was a fun story while it lasted, but the bubble has been popped on Josh Dobbs, and now the Vikings have to figure out what they're going to do about it with five games to go and a 6-6 six and six record and still alive for the playoffs. So the, the way they looked last night, that's just not a playoff contender. That's a disqualifying performance. You don't play like that. They should have won that game easily if they had anything out of their offense. And they barely had anything, and it barely showed up in time to give them a lead that they really didn't deserve. Well, and those one-score games have really bitten them this year. They're getting payback for what they did last year, Mike. You know, it was an aberration. They went 11-0 last season in one-score games, and 5-6 and six this season, I think they are now in one-score games. So, you know, it, it, when you have those close games, you really do need the quarterback most times to make a play for you. And kudos to Justin Fields in that game last night. He made the one play he needed to make. He wasn't good. But he made the one play he needed to make. Josh Dobbs did get him down, get, did have him score the only touchdown of the game. It was 90-1 to 1 I saw uh, online before that touchdown. 90-1 to 1 that there wouldn't be a touchdown scored last night. And he did get him the touchdown when they needed it most. And then the defense gave up the one play they couldn't give up uh, to come back. So, you know, yeah, this, this is just a team right now without a quarterback that's trying to hang in, hang in, somehow make the postseason. But I think, Mike, after what we've seen the last two weeks, Kevin O'Connell has got to think about going to Nick Mullins. And he said he did think about it last night, but it's got to be a bigger consideration now after what we've seen over the last two weeks. This should probably be troubling to Kevin O'Connell that he was having the same thoughts about Nick Mullins playing when I did, because I tweeted it's Nick Mullins time after interception number four. And O'Connell said he thought about doing whatever needed to be done to give the offense a spark after that fourth interception, just something to get things going. And he decided to give Josh Dobbs that drive after the Justin Fields fumble, the first of two in the fourth quarter that made the turnover differential a little less embarrassing for the Vikings. It was only minus two instead of minus four, and that's when Josh Dobbs finally woke it up. But before it even got to that point, when you've got, before it got to the touchdown, when you've got a guy wide open on a double move that pulled the defender's hamstring and he's on the ground and Jordan Addison is wide open, You can't throw him out of bounds. And look, could Addison have contorted his body a little bit better to catch it and get two feet down? I don't know. This is just one of those that's too few and far between, especially in a game like last night, where when he is racing open like that, you can't throw it outside shoulder. You got to lead him in bounds. You got to keep him in bounds. And that, among all the mistakes, miscues, timing issues, bad decisions last night, An NFL quarterback doesn't throw a guy who is wide-ass open, to use a term that Bruce Arians popularized during his one year at CBS. You don't throw that guy out of bounds, Shireen. Yeah, that was just a horrible throw when you have a guy wide open. That should have been an easy touchdown. NFL quarterbacks make that throw 100 times out of 100 times. That's one that you can't miss. You don't have that many opportunities in a game with a receiver that open. 
ever. Like, you, you get that chance one time a game, maybe two times a game, and he had it, and he missed it. And between that and the first play of the game when they should have uh, challenged the, the Jordan Addison, which looked like a catch, those two plays to me were just huge plays that the Vikings couldn't miss in that game, and they did, and they are where they are now after that 12-10 loss. I think of how different the game would have unfolded if that catch had been ruled a catch or if Kevin O'Connell had thrown the challenge flag and been successful. This is the first play after the Bears miss a 48-yard field goal following a, I think, 72-minute drive. The Bears are in control of the game early. They go deep, double coverage. Jordan Addison, by all appearances, has it. Now, I think it would have been, you'd need to get an angle And I think there was one angle that was the eureka moment that that ball never touched the ground and we can see it never touched the ground. You've got to throw the red flag there. And I know Kevin O'Connell is still less than two seasons into his career as an NFL head coach. And he's done a very good job with the Vikings. But you've got to realize, I think, in that spot, and I think if he knew how the game was going to go, he probably throws that flag. But when the upside is a 50-yard gain that would be a potential backbreaker mentally for the Bears after fighting and scratching and clawing to get themselves into field goal position and they missed the kick, it's worth burning one of your challengers. It's worth giving up a first-half timeout because the upside is maybe we get 50 yards out of this. It's just like what the Steelers did on Sunday when – Mike Tomlin failed to throw the challenge flag when Deontay Johnson had the ball in the end zone. He got a third foot down before he was knocked down and the ball came out. Touchdowns are precious commodities for the Steelers. Touchdowns last night were precious commodities for the Vikings. And again, maybe you think, hey, this is how it's going to be all night. We're going to be thrown all over the place. But I still think 50 yards for 50 yards. You know, we see guys throw the red challenge flag over a five-yard differential. Who cares? Why are you going to burn an early red flag over that? But for 50 yards, unless you got a clear look that the ball hit the ground, it's kind of worth the roll of the dice because I just remember there was one angle in particular where it's like that ball did not hit the ground. At one point, I thought it might have been an interception. But then I saw an angle that made me say, that's a catch. And, man, somebody failed Kevin O'Connell by not screaming into the headset throw that red flag it sure looked like a catch Mike and I think that is one you challenge and I think when you're up in the box and you see that you see the replays you you send word down to Kevin O'Connell that that was close enough to challenge let's challenge that and it's the first half if you lose a timeout I know you lose one of your challenges you only got one left but if you lose one of your timeouts in the first half, so be it. But I, it was close enough to definitely take a look at that, to have the replay official look at it and see, the referee look at it, and see if it was a catch indeed or not, because it sure looked like it was. And I, I think this is the angle. This is the that, angle. That's the angle. That was the angle. That I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that was the angle. That yeah, When you look at that one and the first one together, that one. that's a catch. Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think it and part definitely of it too is catch. how quickly, 
How quickly do those angles get served up to the people who are charged with the responsibility of giving Kevin O'Connell a reliable feedback? But even then, I think the lesson to be learned is, and Sean Payton has explained this in the past on this program, when it's clear that you should throw the red flag, you got 50 voices in your headset saying throw the red flag. When it's not clear, no one's saying anything. And you're the one on an island having to make the decision. And you didn't get a good look at it live because you're thinking about the next play and you're flat to the ground with everything else that's happening. And blink your eye and you missed whether or not it happened. It's just pure luck if you can have the clear perspective from where you're standing as the head coach to see that it's clear and obvious that the ruling on the field was incorrect. So I I just think that as Kevin O'Connell digests the film from today, and he talked last night about how he'll go back and look at everything, and there'll be things I wish I had back. And, you know, and I understand that it's the end of the night, and the reporters just want to go home, and you're in the press conference, and you're thinking maybe somebody also asked the question. I don't know, but he even mentioned that play, and nobody said, why didn't you throw the red challenge flag? Did you consider throwing the red challenge flag? There's a way to ask it where you don't piss anybody off. Not that Kevin O'Connell is going to get pissed off. He understands. He's a grown-up. He knows that that's part of the job. Did you give any consideration to throwing the challenge flag, given that it would have been a 50-yard gain? That question wasn't asked. He was available for 15 minutes. He didn't storm off. He didn't harump like Bill Belichick. He was giving meaningful answers. He was saying things that maybe he shouldn't have said about how he's going to spend the next two weeks thinking about making a quarterback change and how he was thinking about pulling out Josh Dobbs last night. You know, it's funny. When you juxtapose his press conference against Dobbs, I think Dobbs is oblivious to how, number one, close he was to getting yanked, and number two, close he is to getting benched. (laughs) Yeah, he really was close to getting benched, and he's close to getting yanked now too, Mike. Here's the other thing. Players aren't always 100% on these things, but Jordan Addison needed to make it known, too, to Kevin O'Connell. You know, hey, I, I caught this ball. I, it never hit the ground. It was a catch. It was a catch. You know, let, let's challenge this, challenge this play. Throw the red flag, whatever it is. But he needed to make it known that he caught that ball uh, to the sidelines so they feel good about Hey, we got to look at it. We didn't get a great look. We think it's we think it's might be a catch. It's worth the challenge. And and then he he sees Jordan Addison saying, "I caught the ball." So that would be enough. Those two things, I think, to throw the red flag. And I don't know what Addison. I, I don't even remember what Addison's reaction was after that. But he needs to make it clear that he caught that ball and that it is worth the challenge to Kevin O'Connell. I have a general recollection of Jordan Addison's reaction to pretty much anything that's happened on the field this year. He has none. I mean, that's just how he is. I'm not criticizing. He just doesn't, he doesn't get animated. He's very calm and on to the next play, but you're right. That's part of the responsibility. If the player believes the ball never hit the ground, the player needs to be saying, throw the red flag because we've seen that make a difference. Now, sometimes the player is wrong and it hurts your credibility the next time around when you think that the ball was caught and they figure out, and that's part of understanding the personality of your team. And for Kevin O'Connell, it's part of understanding Jordan Addison. He's not the guy who's going to jump up and down and say that was a catch. And you have to factor that into a decision you need to make fairly quickly. But you know what? You're on offense. You got the full 40 seconds. You're not – rushing to the line yeah that's the benefit of being the team with the ball after a close play like that where you think maybe it was a catch and maybe you do want to throw the red flag he had control of the situation 
And 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 in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't a huge moment. But in the grand scheme of things, it was a huge moment because if he throws the flag and they change the ruling, that potentially changes everything in last night's game. We mentioned the number one fact that Kevin O'Connell considered removing Josh Dobbs last night for Nick Mullins. Jaron Hall was the emergency third quarterback. He couldn't have played. And number two, the fact that Kevin O'Connell has not given Josh Dobbs a clear number one assignment for their next game, week 14. Here's O'Connell from last night's postgame press conference on the possibility that the Pastronaut will not be playing the next time the Vikings are on the field. We're going to take a look, uh, you know, really evaluate, you know, the inventory of plays now we have of Josh. Uh, we got healthy. We got Jaron back, you know, available to us. And then Nick Mullins is available as well. Did you think at all during the game of putting Nick in? Uh, we, we definitely, you know, it started to get to the point where um, I was just trying to think, you know, almost what would give us a spark. Uh, maybe, you know, throughout the game we got the sudden change on that, on that turnover. And then Josh took us down the field uh, for a touchdown. You know, as, as much as the turnovers um, absolutely cripple you offensively, um, I still thought Josh battled, no flinch, and, and just kept playing and competing to try to help us win. Uh, I really credit him that. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You know, on one hand, and he went on to say later, he's going to look at everything. He's, they, they've, got, they've got the opportunity to consider given the guys that are available to them now, what they will do. And it's not exactly the way to show faith in your starting quarterback. But but if you listen to the whole 15 minutes, Kevin O'Connell repeatedly praises the defense for how well it's playing and keeping the offense in games when the offense isn't delivering. And I think that sometimes, Shireen, you've got to be willing to take a little shot at your quarterback because that helps the defense, I think, keep doing what they're doing because the defense isn't inclined to then say, 
why aren't they thinking about doing something? Why, why are we still holding this rope as hard as we are when the offense doesn't seem to be trying to get any better? What are they doing to try to get better? I mean, it's kind of like what's going on in New England with the Mac Jones stuff. If you're on that Patriots defense, you're like, what in the hell? Why, wait, wait a minute. What, they, wait, we're in the dark for two weeks about who the quarterback's going to be, and they're going back to, to the guy that got yanked from the game against the Colts? Are you kidding me? Like, do something. Do something. Shake things up. Do something. We're doing everything. You please do something. So I think I understand why O'Connell was candid about it. Now, while the players have their mandatory break, the coaches are going to be working extra hard, or at least they should be, to figure out what to do about that offense. I don't know why coaches are so reluctant. If you don't have a Patrick Mahomes or an Aaron Rodgers or a Dak Prescott or whoever, a solid number one starting quarterback who who you're not going to take out of the game, why they're so reluctant in the middle of a game to switch quarterback. It's like it's just unheard of to put another quarterback in. And, and sometimes maybe that gives you a spark. And if it doesn't work for a series or two, then you bring the other guy back in, but at least you've tried something to ignite the offense that's doing absolutely nothing except turning the ball over. So I don't know why he was so reluctant to to give Nick Mullins a chance to do that, especially after the fourth interception. You know, I just kept thinking, as you did, it was Nick Mullins' time. He's going to bring him in, try to deliver a spark to this offense. And it, it's, it is a beatdown to a defense when the offense consistently turns the ball over, puts the defense in a bad position, punts, whatever, but is not scoring points and not really keeping you in the game, and you have to go back out there and try to keep keep yourself in the game because the offense is doing literally nothing in the game to help you. So it is a beat down to that defense. So coaches need to need to – do that more where they put a quarterback in, a backup quarterback, if they have a, a decent backup and there's not much difference between the first guy and the second guy. And in this case, Nick Mullins, frankly, might be better than Joshua Dobbs just because he's been there longer and knows the offense. He was on injured reserve. We don't know what Nick Mullins has in this offense because we haven't seen him this year. I would have liked to have seen him at least for a series or two, Mike, to see if he could get something going for that offense. The easy observation of the current NFL is there aren't enough good quarterbacks to go around. The more accurate observation could be there aren't enough bad quarterbacks to go around. There just aren't (laughs) enough quarterbacks. I got a text last night from someone in the league whose name would be instantly recognizable if I were to mention it, but I have not been authorized to do so due to the sensitivity of the topic. Here's what the text says. The lack of quality quarterbacks in the league is alarming. From the relentless rush to thrust them yeah. into the lineup when they aren't ready, when their teams aren't solid around them, it's terrible. And that's not from Tom Brady. Not from Tom Brady, but somebody else whose name would be instantly recognized was currently employed by a team. So uh, that's the problem. And I said several weeks ago, I think I said to Sims, not that he needs a specific reason to hit me, but I to- because he just does whatever he wants to anyway, but I told him if I ever talk again, about expanding the NFL, please punch me in the face because you can't have 34, you can't have 36, you definitely can't have 38, and you absolutely can't have 40 teams when there aren't enough quarterbacks for 32. If anything, it dawned on me last night. If anything, and I know it will never happen because the last thing they're going to do is reduce inventory. If anything, 
contraction may not be a bad idea. Remember when baseball was talking about contracting teams 15, <laughs> 20 years ago? And I yeah. never knew why other than baseball's boring as hell, so fewer teams would be better. But for football, there's a reason to do it. There aren't enough quarterbacks. There aren't enough quarterbacks to fill out 32 depth charts. We're seeing it. They can't stay healthy with everything they're doing to keep them healthy from flag happy on intentional grounding to not calling or or, or flag happy on roughing the passer to not calling intentional grounding. We'll get to that to letting the tackles leave a little early so they have a chance to block the defensive linemen to looking the other way on a lot of the holding calls. You you just can't get quarterback play. The, The defensive lines are better than the offensive lines and the offenses aren't catching up. And it, it's just not what the NFL wants it to be. There aren't enough good quarterbacks. And this is the dilemma that Kevin O'Connell now has. It, it worked with Josh Dobbs, and now it's not. So can we fix it with him, or do we pivot to someone else? You know, and we're 25 minutes into this, Mike, and we haven't even mentioned Justin Fields, speaking of poor quarterback play. And that's what would have been the first topic if the Bears had lost this game. It was going to be whichever quarterback lost this game. Neither quarterback was good. Justin Fields was just as bad as as Joshua Dobbs was. I mean, he had the two fumbles and now has 35 fumbles in 35 games. So neither quarterback was good in this game. And they both have decisions to make. For the Vikings, it's the short-term decision of... Who's going to be our quarterback in the next? We're still in this playoff hunt. Who's going to be our quarterback in the next game? And for the Bears, it's what are we going to do after the season? We're probably going to have the number one overall pick from the Panthers. How are we going to address our quarterback position? Is Joshua is is do we move on now from Justin Fields? But they both have decisions to make, and the Vikings again have a decision to make after the season with Kirk Cousins scheduled to become a free agent. Little did we realize when we saw Justin Fields in the preseason opener, at least the first time he played, I can't remember whether it was week one, week two of the preseason because teams treat that three-game stretch differently now than they treated the four-game preseason package. But screen pass to D.J. Moore that goes for a touchdown, screen pass to Khalil Herbert, I think, that went for a touchdown. Had no idea that was going to be the passing game for the Chicago Bears all year because that's what it's been predominantly behind the line of scrimmage or at the line of scrimmage, these short passes, and you just hope the guy can do something with it. And sometimes he does. But the Vikings were getting to the point where they were sniffing it out. There was one that was stuffed in the fourth quarter with some great play by the Vikings defense. I think it was the rookie Blackman from USC. And uh, it it wasn't wasn't getting the ball down the field until they needed to, until until they, they, they get themselves into easily makeable field goal range on a throw down the field. And I don't know, maybe the whole game was a setup for that moment. I doubt it. I doubt it. But, you know, the Bears do have a big decision to make when it comes to Justin Fields. And it it very well could be that they decide to move on from him. They're going to have the Panthers pick. We're going to talk about them next segment and the changes they're going through and the likelihood that one of the first-round picks they gave up to move up to get Bryce Young is going to be handed in gift wrap to the Bears for next year, and they can have their pick of whoever they want as a new franchise quarterback. But what do you do with Justin Fields? And just because they won last night doesn't mean that Justin Fields is the guy for next year. And, like, how many years do you go with your quarterback in the uncertain category? You know, Shereen, I say there's three types of teams. Teams that have franchise quarterbacks, teams that don't and know it, 
And then teams that have a guy where they're just not quite sure which way it's going to break. How long do you leave Justin Fields in the we're not sure which way it's going to break category? Knowing that you may have an opportunity to get a brand new lottery ticket that could have franchise quarterback under three squares and it lines up and off you go for the first time since Sid Luckman, if you're the Bears. With the risk being Justin Fields goes somewhere else, the light goes on, and he becomes the guy there that he never was with you, and you're left with one of the first-round quarterbacks that doesn't work out. That's the pitfall here. There, There is an upside and a downside to how the Bears work this out. Whatever they do, keep Justin Fields, oh, you shouldn't have. Get rid of Justin Fields, oh, you shouldn't have. And based on last night, the total body of work, including the fact that he's no longer Mike Vick when he runs the ball, like he he doesn't – that was last year, and I don't know, you know, maybe is he banged up a little bit? I don't know. Or defense is figuring out how to defend him better. But last year he was the closest thing that I've seen to Mike Vick running the football where it's just bolt of lightning gone. We haven't seen that this year from him. So so that makes him a little less attractive. The The passing game isn't there. And if you get the first overall pick in the draft – I don't know. It's going to be very tempting for the Bears to say, "Let's let's just let's let's go. Let's let's get our first franchise quarterback." Literally since Sid Luckman. What I wanted the Bears to do last year, Mike, uh, and I think I tweeted this was for them to trade Justin Fields for whatever they could get for him, the, the highest bidder, and to use that number one pick. On C.J. Stroud. And guess what? C.J. Stroud is much better than Justin Fields already. Now, they may have taken Bryce Young. I don't know how they had those quarterbacks stacked up. And there are some good prospects coming into this draft who are quarterbacks. So maybe they end up better if they were going to take Bryce Young last year. Maybe they end up better than they would have last year by taking Bryce Young. I don't know how that's going to work out. But I do think they get less Maybe not a ton less, but I do think they get less trading Justin Fields now than they would have a year ago. But they did end up with that first pick, and now they've got two picks that are going to be pretty high that they can work on rebuilding this team. But they do have decisions to make, and and I think, to me, it's pretty simple. You've seen enough of Justin Fields to go – hey, let's let's go get another quarterback and let's start over and try this again. And and I know they've tried it multiple times now. They've drafted guys high multiple times now, and it's not worked out for them. But you got to keep trying because I've seen enough of Justin Fields to go, he can be a good quarterback. He's not going to be a great quarterback. I've seen enough of C.J. Stroud this season to say he's going to be a great quarterback. He's already a top 10 quarterback. So that's what you want. You want a guy that you are certain of is your franchise quarterback. And at this point, they're still uncertain that he's going to be a franchise quarterback. I think you've seen enough to say he's not going to be a franchise quarterback, a top 10 guy who's going to lead us where we need to go. And... The word on the street basically went like this as it related to the Bears before the draft. If Bryce Young was a couple of inches taller, they would have stayed where they were and taken him. And the response to that is, well, Bryce Young was a couple of inches taller. His name's C.J. Stroud. And uh, for whatever reason, and, and, you know, this underscores the fact that it's still a crapshoot. It's still a crapshoot. 
Look at 2021, the year that Justin Fields was taken in the first round by the Bears. Trevor Lawrence, great. Zach Wilson, the exact opposite of great. Trey Lance, gone and forgotten by the 49ers after two years and barely playing for them. Mac Jones, Patriots would like to send him back and get a refund for that 15th overall pick in the draft. He's the guy that people thought Kyle Shanahan was trying to get in position to draft, and he was talked out of Mac Jones and into Trey Lance. Mac Jones has not been great, and I don't know how much better he would be anywhere else. I think last year ruined him, and I think he needs a fresh start, but he's been so bad this year. Who's going to give him a fresh start? How do you sell that to your fan base? Hey, we have the answer. We finally have the answer of all our quarterback woes. Are you ready? Are you ready? Mac Jones. No one's selling that this year. That's how bad he's been. So, and I think part of it, it goes back to the text I got last night. And I think the rookie wage scale is potentially biting teams in the ass when it comes to this willingness to, to move on. Move on, because there's no longer that huge financial consequence, the big guaranteed money, the salary cap hit because of the contracts that were growing and growing and growing at the top of the draft. They needed to rein them in, and the guise under which they operated was, well, you know, we don't want the Ryan Leafs and Jamarcus Russells of the world to take millions out of the system if they never earn it, which only keeps the guys who do earn it from getting paid. But what it does is it makes the teams able to say, we're just done. We're done after yep. two years. We're done after three years. I mean, it used to be five. Now it's two if you're lucky. Hell, for a while it looked like Jordan Love, after sitting on the bench for three years, was only going to get one year in Green Bay. And you got all these guys floating around out there who washed out and nobody wants them. And, you know, what I said about Mac Jones is true. You can't sell him to a fan base. Maybe you should sell him to a fan base. Maybe he can have a great second act somewhere but man there just aren't enough quarterbacks and that's that's a reason why the bears need to be pretty damn sure before they let the bird in the hand go that they got a chance to at least get another bird in the bush forget about two bird in the hand versus bird in the bush which bird do we want let's hear from justin fields after last night's game on overcoming a couple of fumbles in the fourth quarter i want to try to discern from his demeanor whether he's thinking that he's got a future in chicago here he is First off, can't fumble. Need a better ball security on that. And it's crazy because, you know, Roshan, I think he fumbled a play or two before I fumbled on the first one. So I'm like telling him, yo, ball security is the most important thing right now. Then two plays later, I fumble. And the second one was like a backbreaker. But, um, you know, the guys never wavered. Um, So the guys in the locker room appreciate them for, you know, sticking beside me and, you know, believing in me. And, um, you know, defense did a great job uh, getting us the ball back for that last drive. And um, offense did a great job executing those plays. So um, felt great. And, and really just felt good of, you know, fighting through the adversity, um, ups and downs of the game. Guys never got too high or too low, and, you know, we, we fought and, you know, finished at the end. So it was good. Now, I guess before the game, ESPN talked to him about his situation, and he's pragmatic. I can only control what I can control. I can't control who they draft. I can't control what they do. But, hey, I mean, here we are. He's got his yeah. third season. will be completed. Is he getting a new contract? Is he getting traded? Would they pick up the, the fifth-year option? Uh, and I wonder, is that that choice of purple headwear, yeah, is that a that middle too. finger to the team? Is that a middle finger to the team that he just beat? Or is that a, hey, hey, 
hey, Vikings, hey, Vikings, come get me. Although I don't think they'd be as interested in him as they were in 2021. And there was some chatter that they were ready. Remember, the Bears traded up from 20 to 12 to get Justin Fields in 2021. They cut the line in front of the Vikings. They're people I trust, not to be confused with the various people I don't trust, but people I trust told me that the Vikings were getting ready to take Justin Fields in 2021, even at a time when they were still supposedly all in with Kirk Cousins. So I don't know, but Justin Fields may be looking for a new home. Mac Jones may be looking for a new home. Josh Dobbs may be looking for a new home. You know, uh, Shireen, th- this offseason – and it's, it, it went for years without the quarterback position for veterans being part of the total free agency frenzy. It feels like that carousel spins even harder each and every year. Yeah, it's just the quarterback play is just not very good right now, Mike, overall. And we've lost so many starters this year that – you know, it, it, the games have just I, – I agree with what Tom Brady and some others have said, that, that there's just not a good product out on the field as good as it's been in the past. And I think that's because of all the quarterbacks that we've lost. And when you start to look at the teams that we really consider as contenders to win the, game, to win the Super Bowl, there's only a handful. And you start to look at those be- the best quarterbacks as the only ones with the chance to do that. So, you know, I don't know how you fix this if you're the NFL. I don't know if there is a way to fix this if you're the NFL, except to try to keep your starting quarterbacks, your your stars of the game healthy. And I know they're trying to do a, a good job of that. But it seems like every week, and I think this was the first week of the last five weeks, that we haven't lost a good starting quarterback for the season so they've got to figure out something to help them, and I think they're trying to do that with some rules protections, obviously, uh, um, on sacks and, th- I mean, on uh, hits to the quarterback and things like that. But it's just the product just is not very good, and I think it's because the quarterbacks are not very good. One way they're trying to help them is by looking the other way on what used to be fairly blatant intentional grounding. And – Last night, Kevin O'Connell was upset about a failure to call grounding on the Bears. Just one play before the long gain on third and 10 to DJ Moore. They would have been facing third and 24 if grounding had been called based upon where he was when he threw the ball. And he was right in the middle of the pocket. He started to break to the left. He ends up back in the pocket, dead center of the field. Daniil Hunter's trying to get him, and there goes the ball. And, Shereen, that ball almost hits the wall. It's like kicked into the wall by somebody standing right in front of the wall. Now, we know from a few weeks ago when that bizarre moment happened in the Lions-Raiders game on Monday night where there was a potential intentional grounding by Jared Goff on the first drive of the game. John Perry, the ESPN rules analyst, came on and said, well, you know, that kind of looked like grounding. And then they they hit the bat signal from 345 Park Avenue and cram Walt Anderson into the broadcast for the first time they've ever done this for this cameo, this Don Rickles walk-on from the 70s on Johnny Carson's show. Like, here's Walt Anderson. Oh, here's our friend Walt Anderson. Hey, Walt, what do you got? And he circles the wagons and defends the shield and says why it wasn't intentional grounding I'd have loved to have heard him explain this one, but what we learned that night was, and when I looked at the rule, because Anderson didn't explain the rule the right way, 
The rule is the ball has to be thrown in the direction of and land in the vicinity of a receiver. What Anderson said, and he got it wrong, which makes it even more amazing. They've never hit that button before to bring in Walt Anderson. And the time they do, he screws up the rule. He says the ball is thrown in the direction and vicinity of the player because it was like a a frozen rope right over the head of a running back. Well, it's got to land in the vicinity of the player. It's not enough that it whizzed over his head and landed 30 yards down the field. It's got to be thrown in the direction of and land in the vicinity of the player. And Cole Komet, if we can show that again, Cole Komet was the closest receiver. And you could argue, I guess it's thrown in his direction. I mean, we know it. This is you know it when you see it. This isn't any attempt to try to get the ball to an eligible receiver. This is avoid the sack. Throw it up. Maybe I'll get lucky and they won't call grounding. And, okay, you can say it's kind of in the direction, but there's no freaking way it lands in the vicinity of Cole Komet. I think to qualify to be in the vicinity, it has to be in the vicinity of the field where it lands. I mean, you know, we talk about catchable and non-catchable all the time with pass interference and what's catchable, what's not catchable. I mean, this is embarrassing to consider that this is a ball that would ever be qualified and classified as anything but intentional grounding. It really is. And Kevin O'Connell's point was, you called it on us in the first half. Where's the consistency? And, and that's the other thing. You, know, you don't have to get every call right, but at least try to show consistency between the two teams in a given game. Yeah, it, it was blatant, Mike. And you, I said immediately, that's grounding, and was surprised that they didn't even talk about – I don't even think they talked about on that play – a, a grounding call, usually the official who's over by the receiver and the referee talk and decide with a two-person decision whether it's grounding or not. There was no even discussion, I don't think, on that play. And there should have been because that ball was so far out of bounds, no one had an opportunity to catch that that pass. And it to me, it was clear grounding. And then you texted our text string and said, why wasn't that grounding? And it's a great question. Why wasn't that grounding? It should have been grounding. They didn't call it. And I think you, you made the point, Mike, and Kevin O'Connell made it, inconsistency with officiating is a bigger problem than missed calls, blown calls. That Houston-Jacksonville game, it was bad for both sides uh, the other day, I, it was one of the fir- worst officiated games I think I've seen, but it was pretty even on both sides because they were bad calls for both sides that were really crucial calls. And this one just seemed to me that it was way inconsistent. Like you didn't know what kind of calls you were going to get, at least if they're bad and they're continually bad on the same types of calls in the Houston Jacksonville game, it was defensive holding, then you know what you're going to get. But in this game, you had no idea what they were going to call or not call because it was so inconsistent, and that's an example of it. When I get on the plane on Saturday and on Monday, either going to or from New York for the weekend at NBC, I'll put out a tweet inviting any and all questions just to kill that half hour of just waiting for the plane to fill up and push back and take off. And one of the questions I got yesterday was, what is the NFL going to do about the horrible officiating? And I found a GIF of one of those cool money counting machines where the bills flip through. That's what they're going to do. They're Uh going to keep counting their money. They're not going to do anything. There are so many flaws in the game right now, and they're not going to do anything about it until they have 
a financial consequence that forces them to do something about it. Until the House is fully engulfed in fire, they won't try to put the fire out. Oh, oh, we got, you know, it's the, it's the fire dog. This is fine. This is fine. Everything is fine. And the question is, will they act before it's too late? Because it really is bad, but they don't care. And, you know, my son and I have this debate all the time because he, he's willing to sign on to the it's rigged crowd and they want certain teams to win and it's rigged and it's rigged and it's rigged. And I try to explain to him, they aren't good enough to rig it. They, they just, number one, they don't care who wins <laughs> uh-huh. and who loses. They really don't. They still make the same money either way. And they, they can't pull it off. They, they wouldn't even try to pull it off. They're smart enough to not even try to pull it off. You can't pull it off. There's too many people who would be in on it. It's too hard to do. And with that said, you know, you give a lot of discretion that cannot be tested or challenged or overturned to one or two people out there in black and white stripes. And bad stuff can happen if they aren't, uh, if they aren't more careful about it, if they don't wake up before it's too late. Now, uh, you mentioned playoffs and, you know, the Vikings are still somehow holding on to the seventh spot. They got a half game lead over the Rams, the Packers and the Saints, who are each five and six. They'll get a chance to catch up to the Vikings this weekend. The Vikings are off and they all play. But don't we know how this is going to go at this point? Whoever gets the seventh seed is going to go to San Francisco and lose by 50. Unless they get lucky and in week 18 or week 17, there are multiple injuries to key 49ers players, which really isn't that much of a stretch. That's one of the reasons the Vikings were able to beat them five weeks ago. Debo Samuel was out and Trent Williams was out. It makes them vulnerable. But the se- we're not going to have – and watch, as I say it, I'm thinking, look, it's going to happen. I can't imagine a situation where the sixth seed or the seventh seed in the NFC get hot this year and run the table. Between the Eagles, the Cowboys, and the 49ers, somebody's walking into a buzzsaw. The Lions could be vulnerable. That 3-6 game – the Lions could be vulnerable. That's the spot the Vikings blew last year as the three seed. Three six could be a problem. Two seven, forget about it. And even if you win as a six seed, you go to Philly, or you or you you cross paths with the Cowboys, you're done. You're just done. And uh, and I know everybody wants to make the playoffs. It's what you're playing for. It's why you're there. You, you want the extra game and the. You know, an extra week of practice and evaluate guys. Yeah, yeah, but but we, we know how the NFC is going to go, Shereen, don't we? It's going to be the Eagles, the Cowboys, the 49ers when the dust settles. Yeah, and I think, Mike, that the NFL has gotten exactly what they want, though, out of that because when you look at that chart, all the teams that are lumped right there together that have an opportunity, you look at the Seahawks schedule. We're not even talking about number six. You look at the Seahawks schedule, and we're going to talk about them later in the show and their playoff chances. They got a tough schedule coming up. So you got five teams really right there vying for those two spots, and you could end up with a team with a losing record that makes the postseason as the in the number seven spot. So, you know, I think nine wins definitely is going to be good enough to, to get you there, to get you in the postseason. So they got what they want by adding that extra playoff game. They got more playoff revenue, as you said, count that money. And people are intrigued right now. People are why the Rams, hey, they're still in this thing that, you know, in, in fact, they maybe have a better chance than anybody else. 
in that listing right there to make the postseason. So they've gotten exactly what they want. They're continuing to count the money. They got that extra playoff game, and they've got the intrigue right now of who's going to make that six and seven, who are going to make those six and seven spots. The vision that Pete Rozelle had for a parody rich NFL back in the 70s when it was the Steelers and the Dolphins and the Cowboys and the Raiders rolling a roost. You want to have as many teams alive for as long as you can. And having 14 playoff spots in a 32-team league keeps more teams alive longer. And it keeps more fan bases engaged. And uh, it runs it all the way until week 17, week 18, where you think we still have a shot. And we'll worry, we'll worry about the implication of being the seventh seed and going to play the 49ers on their home turf later. For now, we just want to get in. We just want a ticket to the party. We don't care that we're going to get our asses kicked at the party. We just want to be there. It's better to be at the party and get your ass kicked than not be at the party at all. That's easy to say <laughs> until you go play that game against the 49ers and lose 42-10. to 10. Uh, All right, somehow we got through 50 minutes talking about wow. last night's game. I don't know how that happened. I thought I was going to have to play a few select numbers on my recorder to get through the opening segment after how boring that game was. But we have squeezed every last drop of blood we could out of last night's stone of a game. When we return, the big news from yesterday, a little video from LaGuardia yesterday that people actually seem to like in Carolina because I'm preaching to the choir there. Even though Frank Reich has been fired, there's a growing outcry against the guy who's making those decisions. We'll break down what's happening in Carolina when PFT Live continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.